Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. Uh, We want to understand him truly and fully because we think he's magnificent. And Father, as we think about these very unusual circumstances of his birth, we pray that your spirit will work in us, that we might see and love your truth, that we might believe your truth. And Father, we pray that we might live in the light of your truth and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in my body, attached to my intestines, I believe I have a thing called an appendix. Uh, From what I understand, it's this weird little organ that doctors speculate about, but which performs uh, no vital task in the functioning of the body. Uh, And if it causes you pain, you can safely take it out. Uh, that they took my dad's appendix out when he was a kid and he's now in his mid-70s and you know he's in great health and for some people the notion that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is like the appendix it's pretty weird it's subject to much exotic speculation and if you find it too hard to believe you can safely ditch it from your theology with no real consequence you know it's okay to sing about it at Christmas time but nobody in this day and age could possibly be expected to believe it and it really doesn't matter if you don't. I might be describing what you think or what people you know think. And there are two things to be said in response. The first one I will say very briefly, the second one will be most of the sermon. Firstly and briefly... If I deny that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, then I'm calling God a liar, my doctrine of scripture falls apart and I have no solid basis for true knowledge of God. Scan those opening lines of Luke's Gospel, right at the beginning of chapter 1 of Luke. In those verses... Luke makes clear he is seeking to write an orderly account about Jesus based on careful investigation. He is seeking to write a history. And the work he produces shows all the concern for dates and names and titles and places that you would expect to find in carefully written history. And then a page or so later, Luke gives us the account of Mary's bizarre angelic encounter where she is told that by the work of the Holy Spirit she will conceive a child even though she is a virgin. And these things unfold just as the angel said. If I don't believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, then I'm saying that the historical account Luke reported isn't true. I'm left with two possibilities then when it comes to the Bible. Either the Bible is the word of God that it claims to be and God tells lies or the Bible is not the word of God and sometimes reports things as facts of history which are not. In either case, I'm left with at best no reliable source of knowledge about God and at worst an unreliable God. The Christian doesn't have the luxury 
of denying things that God has spoken because we find them weird or hard to believe. Our entire faith is based on the claim that a man was raised from the dead. That's the first thing to be said. The second thing is this. If Jesus was not, in fact, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, then Jesus is not our saviour. And we are still in our sins, condemned before God and headed for hell. That sounds a bit more high stakes than the old appendix, doesn't it? For Jesus to be the saviour that we need, he had to be miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The virgin birth is the way that God ensures the saviour who can actually save us. Firstly, because of the miraculous circumstances of Jesus' birth, we have the sinless saviour that we need. We have the sinless saviour that we need. In Luke chapter 1, the angel announces to Mary that she will have a son who will grow up to be the Messiah long promised by God. And Mary asks the not unreasonable question, how will this be since I am a virgin? And we see the angel's response in verse 35. So look at chapter 1 verse 35 of Luke. The Holy Spirit will come upon you And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to work his miraculous power and so a baby will be conceived in Mary's womb and knows the consequence. This one to be born will be the Holy One. The Holy One. Because of this work of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, she will give birth to the Holy One. It's because he is the Holy One that he can also bear the title Son of God. And of course the scriptures go on to testify in various places to Jesus' perfect holiness. Holy to the point where he was completely without sin. In John chapter 8 verse 46, Jesus was bold enough to ask his enemies, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He knew it would be impossible. Hebrews 4, this is just for jotting down for looking up later. Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 7.26, tell us he was without sin. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, the apostle writes this. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. One of the features of the Old Testament sacrificial system was this. The animals you offered to atone for your sin had to be spotless. You couldn't use the lame, sick animal that you wanted to get rid of. They needed to be without blemish. In the same way, the true, ultimate, final sacrifice for human sin, which all of those animal sacrifices had pointed to, had to be without blemish or defect which is a problem because no human being in the history of the world since the very first human beings has been born without the stain of original sin. Even those who 
walked closest with God, like Noah or Abraham or or David, sinned. Even those upon whom God poured out his wisdom and power in the greatest measure, like Solomon, sinned. Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 15 allude to this problem from the sin of the one man, sin spread to all people. If we were to be part, sorry, if we were to get a new start with God, we needed a new Adam, a last Adam, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. We need one who is without sin, totally holy and completely righteous. And in the conception of Jesus, the Holy Spirit worked in great and mysterious ways so that the one conceived in Mary's womb would not just be you know, the next link in the chain from Adam, but someone different, someone from outside the circle of the stain of original sin, someone who could truly be called the Holy One. And the result is that he can do what the Apostle Peter writes about in 1 Peter 3.18. Familiar words. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The truly holy and righteous one died. He died as a substitute for the unrighteous and we are brought to God. The sinless one died to make atonement for the guilt of sinners. Because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we have the sinless Saviour that we need. Secondly, it means we have the divine Saviour that we need. It's the second point on your outline. We have the divine Saviour that we need. If you go back to what the, Mary, what the angel said to Mary... In Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called, what? The Son of God. Because the Holy Spirit acts in Mary in this mysterious way, her Son will be the Holy One who is called the Son of God. Now we know from last week that ends up, Remember, it ends up being a title that captures the divine nature of Christ. If you weren't here last week, go back, listen to the recording. We don't have time to to do all that work again today, but it's important work. We also see it in Matthew's account of Joseph's angelic experience, where he learned that his fiancée was going to have a baby even though she was a virgin the bit that we read from Matthew. So in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is also told that the child conceived in Mary is a work of God's Holy Spirit. And from Matthew 1.22, he's told, all this took place, sorry, we are told, all this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in Isaiah chapter 7... King Ahaz of Judah, descendant of David, he is freaking out because the kings of Damascus and Israel are threatening to wage war against him because he won't join them in their alliance against Assyria. God wants Ahaz to trust him 
but the king is much more inclined to trust himself to the Assyrians. And so through the prophet Isaiah, God offers for Ahaz to pick a sign that God can perform to demonstrate his power and his faithfulness and his reliability. Ahaz refuses to pick a sign. But God says, I'm going to give you one anyway. The virgin will have a child who will be called God with us and before he is more than a toddler, these kings who you are so terrified of, they will be wiped out by Assyria. And I will be with you, I will draw near you. But it will be for judgment because I know that you will decide to trust Assyria rather than me. And tied up with this promise of a child is another prophecy in chapter 9 of a son being born who will be all that Ahaz is not as king, who will be wise and righteous and eternal. And Matthew takes all that and he says, whatever fulfilment that might have had in the days of Ahaz, its true and ultimate fulfilment is found in the coming of Jesus. That he is born of a virgin shows that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He cannot possibly be born of a human father because he has already been begotten for all eternity by the eternal heavenly father. He's the eternal son of the eternal father. From the very moment of his conception, Jesus is God himself in the person of the son come among us. And the mystery of that is beyond comprehension. But the importance of it for our salvation is very easy to understand. The sacrifice of the cross had to be a divine sacrifice. Firstly, as we've already seen, so that it will be a sacrifice that is pure and unblemished by sin. But also... Because the death of a mere man, even if somehow he was a sinless man, that would be insufficient to atone for the sins of the entire human race through the entirety of human history. But we're told in 1 John chapter 2 that Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, indeed for the sins of the whole world. To deal with, the, with that unfathomable weight of sin... It takes the death of an eternal, which is to say a divine sacrifice. It took God himself to come among us in the person of the Son and offer that sacrifice. Martin Luther was the father of the Reformation, as many of you know. And he put it like this. We Christians should know that if God is not in the scale to give it weight, we on our side sink to the ground... I mean it this way, if it cannot be said that God died for us but only a man, we are lost. But if God's death and a dead God lie in the balance, his side goes down and ours goes up like a light and empty scale. Or as Eric Raymond put it much more recently, there is no way any mere human could bear and fully satisfy God's wrath. By nature, this wrath is infinite in quality. In order to bear the weight of wrath, it is essential that the Saviour be divine. 
because he is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus is God with us and therefore he is the divine saviour that we need. Because Jesus was born, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he is the sinless saviour that we need, he is the divine saviour that we need and finally we have the human saviour that we need. The Holy Spirit did not do some powerful work in an already conceived human being. He didn't possess some already existing human being like the evil spirits who Jesus would grow up to exercise. He's responsible for the very beginning of Christ's human nature, which means there was never a moment when Christ's human nature existed separately from his divine nature. It also means that Christ has a truly human nature. It began with conception. He developed in the womb like every other human being. He was born in the way that people are normally born. He grew. As an adult, sometimes he was tired. There are times he was hungry. There are times he was thirsty. He grew physically weak when he was tortured. He bled. And he died. Christ was truly human. In the first century, the eternal divine son added a human nature to his divine nature. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The divine son was also the truly human son. To use the language of the theologians, one divine person who possesses both a divine and human nature, inseparable but not mixed. One divine person who possesses both a divine and human nature, inseparable but not mixed. And again, this was so that he could be our saviour. Hebrews 2, I, I think I'll get you to turn here. So Hebrews 2 from verse 14, whoever gets there first in the Pew Bible, could you say the page number please? Hebrews 2 from verse 14. 1863. 1863. Hebrews 2 from verse 14. Or the next page, is it? Find the big two and the little 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives are held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For Christ to atone for the sins of fallen humanity, he had to become fallen humanity. To be our high priest before God, he had to become one of us. He had to experience real human death so that he could overturn and defang death. And as we see in the end bit there, we have a saviour who understands our weakness who understands even the experience of temptation because he was like us in every way except without sin. 
If we go back to the idea in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 15, Christ can stand as the last Adam, as the head of redeemed humanity, because he is truly human. He has taken on our humanity and he has lifted it up to the heavens in resurrection. For human beings to have sins atoned for, for human beings to be justified, for human beings to be reconciled to God, they needed a saviour. And their saviour needed to be sinless, divine and human. The way that God provided that saviour who was all three of those things was by sending Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The virgin birth is a very great miracle and mystery. I understand that some people struggle with it because it is beyond the reach of human understanding and it raises all sorts of fascinating questions that God chooses not to answer for us. But it is the way that God provides us with the saviour that we need. If I deny it, not only have I contradicted God, I have declared that Jesus is not fit to be the saviour because the fact that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is the historical reality that fits him for the task. This line in the creed is no mere appendix. So let me finish with a simple question. God has sent us the saviour we need, the saviour who can actually save. Have you put your faith in him as your saviour? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that each and every one of us, even if for the very first time today, might trust this sinless, divine and human saviour who you have sent us. May we be people who put our faith in Jesus and know the salvation that he brings. Know sins forgiven. Know the hope of resurrection. Father, for those who struggle with it, we pray that you might teach them to walk by faith, that they might believe you because they recognise that your glory is far above ours, that you are bigger than we are, that there are things about you that we can believe but never fathom the depth of the mystery of. Father, we pray that you bless them with faith and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.